Amen. Thank you, Tim, and uh, good to be with you this morning. Thankful for the opportunity to be uh, back at a, in a church meeting in an auditorium like this. My wife and I, before we came to Phoenix, I had the privilege to plant a church in Central California, and uh, we had a very similar setup to this, so I understand what it's like to be in the, the cavern. And I used to preach from the floor, and we had a steeper slope, so I was looking up at all the people. So this is quite the difference. You're looking up to me, and uh, really excited to uh, be here and be with you. I hope that you have a little sense of uh, God's nearness to the church plant. Um, this is the mission of Jesus, that uh, many lights would be raised up in a city, and that would burn brightly. There would be communities of believers who love those who are not yet following Jesus, who step into their spheres of influence as a, as a blessing and a light to their community, and who relate around Jesus Christ and his mission. And I hope that you, you sense his joy in this. I know it can be difficult. We've done this twice. Uh, I know the stretch of uh, your faith as you wonder if uh, you should... Uh, be a part of something this difficult, and really church planting is difficult. I hope that you're praying consistently for uh, the Birdwell family and for uh, other leaders within your, your church family, that, that God would sustain their faith, um, that he would hold them up as uh, they wonder uh, at times about the process of planting a church. So uh, we're a testimony. If it shuts off, I'm still going to preach. I don't care. I told them I don't like the amount of sovereignty they have in the back. They can turn me down uh, at any point that they want to. It's an amazing thing. And then there's a clock that's going back there that's ticking off. Richard Baxter is a pastor a long, long, long time ago, but he used to say that he preached as a dying man to dying men. So I'd like to think of this as a Jimmy Valvano moment. I'm going to preach as long as I want to, no matter how you flash that light at me. No, I'm, I'm serious. I hope that you're encouraged. God has been kind to you. The uniqueness of how this church has been planted and then the provision that God has made for you to be here, I hope that you see it and you sense it. I hope at times you're just caught up in the wonder that you get to be a part of something new that God is doing. There's only a few people that do that in their lifetime. They get to be a part of seeing God do something from the ground up, and that's you. So I hope that you're encouraged, and I want to be a blessing uh, to you. We're thankful for your church. We pray for you. Uh, we are thankful for the, the local assemblies that make up uh, the Christian church in Phoenix. And uh, we're one of them, and we're thankful for all the other ones as well. We're praying for more of them, and I uh, hope you are as well. Well, we are from Chandler. Uh, Renee and I moved here uh, coming up on three years ago in May, and uh, planted the church in Chandler in December. And I'm part of a church planning fellowship. It's kind of like a network. It's a fellowship that plants churches, all Harvest Bible Chapel in name, but all independent local churches. And so we came, and there's already one in Scottsdale, and now we are in Chandler, and then there's one in Glendale, and now there's one in Fountain Hills. And uh, we're just thankful that God, and there's going to be one soon in uh, Flagstaff, I believe. And so we're just thankful that God has brought us here. We love this city, and uh, love the opportunity to serve him here. You know, there's nothing probably more awkward than uh, misidentifying somebody, right? Uh, I've had a few embarrassing moments in my life where I misidentified a person who I thought was somebody else. Uh, one of the most recent ones was in Costco. I was confident that I saw a guy from college. That was 15 years ago. I should have probably checked the thought on that. Like, how logical is it that I'm seeing him in Costco? But I was confident this guy has hair like nobody else's hair, except the person that I misidentified who has the same hair. 
Okay, so I caught up with him. I'm yelling to him. It's very embarrassing as I'm about to reach out and grab a perfect stranger by the shoulder to finally realize that this is not the person that I thought it was that I've been yelling to for the last uh, several minutes. People around me are looking at me like, what is he doing? And uh, that's an embarrassing thing. There's probably an equally embarrassing misidentification, though. Have you ever been in a context where you've been in someone's presence that you didn't have rightly identified? You just didn't know who they were. And uh, you were sitting by them in the airplane, or they were one table over in the restaurant, and, or they were, they were in, that, uh, in that suite at the game, and you just didn't have a clue. Maybe they were the leader of your business, and, and you're, you're laughing and cutting up, and somebody's like, do you know who that is? That's the CEO of our company. I think you might get fired for this. Um, do you know who that is? I mean, we used to live, Renee and I lived in L.A. for uh, years during grad school. And, uh, you know, you were always in L.A. If you go to L.A., you just think you're going to see famous people everywhere. But you're also aware that you might miss the famous people and, and how difficult it is to come to the awareness that I was in the presence of greatness, but I misidentified him. I misidentified her. I didn't know who she was. I didn't know that she had four Grammys. I, I didn't know. And I missed my golden opportunity for a selfie with a celebrity. <laughs> what a disappointing moment for all of us, right? Listen, there is a, there's a potential. And it's, it's sitting right at our doorstep. No matter how long we've been associated with religion, no matter how long we've been around the church, there's a, there's a potential that we would misidentify Jesus that we would actually engage with Jesus as we, we interpret him to be rather than how he is revealed to be. Or that we would make him what we want him to be or self-style him and in so doing, miss him. And Palm Sunday is the tragic uh, account of people who screamed, Hosanna, son of David. They, they had some of the information. And then within days, those same people are screaming, Crucify him. There's a tragic consequence to misidentifying Jesus. You couldn't get more serious than to be near Jesus, be around Jesus, be familiar with the name Jesus, and to not know him. And to not know him is to miss out on the triumphant truth of who he, who he is and what he's accomplished. Hey, whoever prayed about this, like you need to talk to Tim after because you have special gifts from the Holy Spirit that we need to know about. We need to know who you are. And then I'd like to add a couple things. We want you to pray for Chandler, okay? And uh, you, you, I'm glad. I, however long we have the screen, we'll use it. And uh, make your way in the Bible. If you've got a Bible, open it up. If you've got one on your device, get there to Colossians chapter 1. And uh, I just don't want us to miss Jesus Palm Sunday is the historical misidentification of Jesus. It is the right words without the right implications. It was people who saw him as the potential king. John chapter 12 tells us that these were people who had been around Lazarus being raised from the dead. They had been around meals that they got for free with thousands of other people out of five loaves and two fish. They had seen miraculous stuff happen, and they started to think to themselves, I think this is the one, but in their one, their conception was that he was going to be the military leader who would overthrow the Roman government and who would establish once and for all the sovereignty of the nation of Israel. And um, in the backdrop of that, Jesus is telling his disciples for the third time, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified. 
I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. And the, the disciples, it's just over their heads. And so Luke says that uh, right before this happened, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. And listen, Jesus, he knew exactly what he was going to do. He was going to go drink. He was going to go take the cup of the, the wrath, the anger, and the condemnation of God for my sin and for your sins. He was going to drink that down to the bottom of the cup. And it was going to happen at a cross. He was going to suffer. He was going to be rejected. The Father was going to turn his face away. In the mystery of the incarnation of God becoming man, the Father was going to turn his face away from his Son. Jesus heads into Jerusalem and experiences this misidentification, the fatal misidentification of Jesus. So it was a confused crowd. And Colossians chapter 1 clears us if we are this morning in any way tempted to self-style Jesus or confused about who Jesus is. So I want to walk right through this with you. This letter was written to make sure that we got Jesus right. That's why Paul wrote it. And uh, it's written to real people just like us who really were in danger in a culture that's a lot like ours of being deceived and self-styling Jesus and making him into what we want him to be and making him say what we want him to say and, and uh, making our own picture up. And so Paul makes sure that we don't do that. So if you got it there, let's read it together. If you can see it, verse 15 is where we'll start. And uh, the first word is he, and that's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Verse 21. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. In order that, in order to present you holy and blameless, and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. All right, in our church we do this, and uh, maybe this is uh, new to you, but I'm going to give you a big idea. If you want to jot this down, if you're a note taker, or uh, put this into your Evernote or whatever it is that you're using. Here's the big idea. I think this is the statement that we could make that kind of sits over top like an umbrella over this paragraph of the Bible. And then what we're going to do for the rest of our time is defend that, um, to explain that, to make that obvious that I'm not up here just creating big ideas. I have nothing for you, okay? There's not a big idea that I could come up with that would be important enough for me to communicate it to you. But God's big idea, that, that, that matters. So here it is, all right? For a life of worship to Jesus and through Jesus to be our lasting joy and experience, we must rightly identify him as revealed in Holy Scripture. 
So for our life to be marked by genuine worship, true and living um, worship from inside, we're going to have to identify him, we're going to have to see him, we're going to have to know him as he's revealed. No matter what misconceptions that has to erase, no matter what wrinkles that has to iron out for us about our, our thoughts about Jesus or our understanding of who Jesus is, we've got to come to the Bible, we've got to come to the scriptures. This is the, re- the revelation of God through Jesus Christ right here on the pages of his book. And we couldn't be in a place that gets it more clear in Colossians chapter 1. So may this Palm Sunday be a Sunday where we throw down branches, metaphorically, where we lay down our coat, but we do it understanding fully what he's coming into Jerusalem to do. We know who he is, we know what he's going to do, and we know where this is going in, into eternity. We know what's being accomplished. And that'll, that'll awaken us, I pray. I'm praying that the Spirit will awaken us in our worship of our Lord Jesus this morning. So here's a question that comes to my mind Uh, from this passage. In what ways must I personally and must we as a church connect to his self-revelation? How does it affect me? What do I need to be, how do I need to be relating to what's revealed about Jesus in Colossians chapter number one? And I just want to give you three ways, okay? So if Jesus will be rightly worshipped, there are three implications of that for us that would mark us as those who identify him correctly. All right, number one, I must believe who he is. I have to believe. I have to actually engage in belief of what he's said about himself, how he's revealed here about who he is, the nature and the character of Jesus. And um, man, I mean, we could, we could spend months on this, right? We could unpack every thought and meditation here, but I just want to walk through briefly with you how Jesus is revealed And if we don't get him in these categories, if we don't have him in in these understandings, then we will miss, and we will misidentify, and misidentifying Jesus is the most serious misidentification ever. Remember Jesus asking the disciples, but who do you say that I am? Let's be the people who say what we see revealed to us here in Colossians chapter 1. So we're just going to walk through these. Jesus revealed, number one. He is image bearer. He is the image bearer. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Listen, you are an image bearer. I am an image bearer. All humans were created to bear the image of our creator. We carry with us personality and communication and interaction that is a direct result of the one who made us so that we would reflect him, so that we would be, we would be uh, reflectors of his glorious power and his work. But there is only one capital I image bearer. Think about it this way. Uh, I used to go to, um, I grew up in Ohio and uh, finished high school in Pittsburgh, so I'm a Northeastern kid, Buckeye Nation strong football champions this year. I don't know if you knew that, but we were the national champions this year. Thank you. All three of us are excited about the Ohio State University. Back in Ohio, we'd go to uh, the carnival. The carnival would roll into town. Uh, Here, it would be like um, maybe a third or a tenth, maybe, of what the fair represents here when it comes to Phoenix. And at the carnival, which now being a little bit more aware of uh, cleanliness, uh, has to be one of the grossest places on the planet, right? At the carnival, there was this like wacky house. 
And you'd go into the wacky house, and it was like a series of mirrors and, and lights and walls that looked like they weren't walls, and then you'd run into them, and it was just this goofy, play-with-your-brain, yucky, nasty germ fest. That's what it was. That's all I can think about. But there was a mirror in there where I would look at myself, right? And what I saw of myself was twisted and like bent around and everything was out of proportion. And now you can do this on your phone or on your, uh, your tablet. You can make, you can distort the image. So listen, listen, friends, the, the, the image of God that is born in Jesus doesn't have any of the distortion that our sin our sin nature, our sin choices, the activities of our life that are in opposition to God's holy standard, in opposition to what he has said and revealed about his righteousness and his perfections, all of that distorts the image of God that we portray. But listen, Jesus is the image bearer. He is the perfect representation of his Father. He bears that image without any distortion. Looking at Jesus is looking at God. Period. He's not anything other than the perfect representation. We could go to Hebrews chapter 1 and see this there as well. He is the image bearer. Number two, Jesus is the universe creator. He's the universe creator. Huge statement in verse 15. The firstborn of all creation. For by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Now listen, when we get to verse 15 in that second part, we could be, we could be deceived into thinking that he's actually created, that God at some point in his wisdom decided, I think I'm going to create a son. And that would be a misunderstanding of what Paul's saying. When he says the firstborn of all creation, he means the top dog. He's the, he's the preeminence. Of everything. Why? Because he's the one who made it all. He's the boss. He's the firstborn. He's the one who gets all of the glory because it all comes from him and it all is for him. And so he says that he created all things. If he created all things, he is self sustaining. He is self existing. The one who creates all things out of no things is the one who self exists. See, I think I'm getting a headache. Yep, yep, that's where we go with this. That's it. If you're getting a headache thinking about Jesus as the uh, self-existent creator of the universe, then you're, you're really close to what God has revealed about Jesus. He is the agent of creation. He's the one who made it all. I love the categories that Paul gives us here. He says all things were created, heaven and earth. Let's make sure we understand space and earth. Visible and invisible, whether you can see it or not, spiritual and physical is the idea here. Thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities are all kinds of powers, all kinds of uh, evil and good, but authorities all exist out of his created order, out of his creative power. Everything exists because Jesus said it exists. We're so tempted to think of him as less than he is. We're so tempted to run to his humanity and in danger of losing his title as universe creator. If you want to look into that more, go to John chapter 1. He's the word who was with God, who is eternally existent with God. The Son has always existed with the Father. 
and the Son took on flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 14 of John 1, that's Jesus, and he gets named Jesus then, right? He's the universe creator. By him, all things exist, and for him, all things exist. Thirdly, he's the universe sustainer. He's the universe sustainer. He goes on in verse number 17, and he says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Everything, every atom, every molecule, every cell consists under the sustaining power and sovereignty of Jesus. Now listen, I am like um, as far from scientific uh, brain as you can possibly get. I mean, I'm just, I mean, I looked in college and they were like, you have to take a math, a science, or a computer science. And I'm like, fail, fail, fail. That's what I'm looking at for those potentials. So I went math. And I hadn't taken math since 10th grade. Do you imagine, you know, what kind of math I was taking in college having not taken it in 10th grade? It was like a, I mean, I was strong going hard for that C minus, okay? So science is not my thing. But listen, when we think, so when I said atoms and molecules and cells, like, I'm like, yeah, I don't even know what those are. I don't really have a clue. I just know that that's matter. I think they all come together. Listen, if he lets go, there's nothing. It's disintegration. It's over. It's gone. It's done. Jesus said it, and it's here. He is over it because he made it. It's for his glory because he created it, and he holds it in his hands. He holds your life in his hands. He made you. He knew you in your mother's womb. He's sustaining you. Consider the sustaining grace of Jesus, the one who's riding on the donkey into Jerusalem, made it all, and holds it all together in the power of his sovereign control. It's just a, it's phenomenal. If you've wondered, how would I ever make it another day? How could I ever get through this week? I mean, it's so out of control. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's this morning. I mean, things are spiraling. And you just feel them tearing apart. It's like everything is out of control. It's not. It's not. You have a Savior who is holding everything together. And in the midst of the chaos of the horizontal around you, as things swirl and spin, understand that there's a vertical relationship that is a sustaining, holding grace from Jesus. To know him is to love him, to understand him is to worship him, to see him. He's the, he's the image bearer. He's the universe creator. He's the universe sustainer. I don't know how, but I forgot to put the next one into our slides, which we still have. God is sustaining our slides this morning <laughs> through the power of Jesus' sovereignty. So if you're jotting down some notes, here's the next one. It's not in your... It's not on the presentation. The church leader. He's the church leader. It says here that he's not just the, the head of all things. He's not just the preeminent one over everything. It gets specific in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. This is his. Do you know that? Every local expression of the body of Jesus is his. In our church, we'll say there's only one genuine capital L lead pastor. I mean, I, I'm the lead pastor of the under pastors, but there's only one pastor of this church. There's only one head of the church. Everybody else operates on delegated authority. There's only one who has inherent authority, like it came with him. You ever been around people like that? They walk into the room and they consider that they have inherent authority. I'm here with my authority. 
Welcome to my authority realm. Right? Those people are difficult to be around. And if that's you, your spouse or your friend next to you will talk to you about it after the service, okay? So listen, you know about people who think they have inherent authority, and often in the church and in local expressions of Christ's church all over the world, there are people who are operating as if they have inherent authority, and that is damaging to the church. There's only one who is the rightful head, who has all of the inherent authority. Everybody else lives under his authority. Everybody else lives under his oversight. Everyone else operates on his wisdom. Everyone has his truth and his knowledge and his insights to to give and to share and to minister among each other within the body of Christ. So Jesus is the church leader. He is the image bearer. He is the universe creator. He is the universe sustainer, and he's the church leader. And I praise God. God, on the testimony of your your pastor, that Jesus is the head of this local assembly. You can trust him. He has wisdom for this. He knows you. He knows this gathering of his people, and he leads these churches. So the church is his. It originates in him. It finds its identity in him. It has all of its authority in him. Here's a question for you. If you were the only representation of this church, how obvious would it be that Jesus is the head, the authority of this church? You say, well, I'm not. I mean, there's like at least this many people, and I'm sure there's more. Tim was saying that this college, there's the college break that's ending, so there's more here usually. No, but you are. Do you understand? You may be the only representation of the church that people in your sphere of influence will ever see. They will ever know. They will ever interact with. That neighbor and that coworker in the next cubicle and that person that you show up and punch that card with and that one that's at the coffee shop that you hang out at or the, the local eatery that you enjoy, that may be the only representation of the church that they ever see is our lives. So how obvious is it among us when we gather and among us when we scatter that Jesus is the church leader. It's essential. If we misidentify him, the consequences are severe. His passions, his pursuits, his priorities, those rule over us. His mission is our mission. His glory is our end. Everything about us gathered and scattered is for him and from him and back to him. All right? So he is... He is the image bearer. He is the universe creator. He is the universe sustainer. And he is the church leader. But finally, he is, he is God. And I suppose we could be confused about the other things and maybe not have all the categories right and not understand all the implications of those. But if we miss that Jesus is God, we have missed Jesus, period. We're using his name on somebody that he's not. That's what Paul says. That's how he wraps up this This first section here, verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He's the full fullness. In the Greek language, it was stack up words. He's the full fullness of God. He's all of God. There isn't any of God that's not in Jesus. There isn't any of Jesus that's not God. He is God. He is God, and he's the only son of God. 
So how necessary is it for us to understand this, particularly within our culture here? It is essential that we get clear that Jesus isn't a good man. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a healer. He's not just a good a philanthropist who really wanted to serve people and had some really unique wizardly powers. That's not him. He's God in human flesh. He's God without sin nature. He's human flesh understanding us and as us, just like us. He's the God-man. And the one riding in the, on the donkey into Jerusalem with people throwing down their garments and throwing down these branches and saying, Hosanna, son of David, the Messiah is here, had no comprehension of who the Messiah was. To them, he was a military leader. To them, he would be the one who would overthrow the violent Roman Empire and establish the sovereignty of Israel again. But we worship him. We understand him. We can know him. In the, in the grace of God, we sinful, plagued, twisted image bearers can know him. Such a glorious reality. To come face to face through the living word of God as the spirit of God turns the lights on for us. As it says in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14, he, he just opens up our understanding to see that this is who Jesus is. He's the image bearer. I see him, I see God. He's the universe creator. Who else is worthy of my worship? He's the universe sustainer. Who else is worthy of my trust and my confidence? He's the church leader. Who else would I bow to and say he's Lord? And he's God. Who else is there to fear, to know, to treasure, to love? So, if our worship is dependent upon identifying him properly, the first way that we have to have that connect to us is we have to believe who he is. All right, number two. I must trust what he does. It says 10 minutes and 30 seconds. Just want you to know that. That seems like a myth to me. <laughs> if, if Jesus will be rightly worshipped, I must trust what he does. Paul just loads this up. How awesome is this? Look at what it says in verse 20. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him, and through him, here's what God was pleased to do, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, to make everything right, making peace, by the blood of his cross. There's so much there. I mean, that's a, that's a theology lesson in one verse. But if we miss this, if we don't identify him understanding and trusting what he's accomplished and what he came to do and what he did fully, then we will miss Jesus. We'll be near to him, but we won't know him. We'll be around him, but we won't be with him. And to not be with him and to not know him is to stand outside of the blessing that he brings, and to stand under the judgment of our creator God. So verse 20 says that God planned and was pleased to reconcile through Jesus. Now I love that idea of reconciliation, right? I mean, number one way we think of reconciliation. Um, I, I think of uh, what's a cultural usage of the word reconcile. And the only thing, I can, <laughs> the only thing that ever comes to my mind is irreconcilable differences, right? That's why they were divorced. Divorced for irreconcilable differences. That's the only time, I mean, I may be watching the E! channel too much or something, but 
Irreconcilable difference is one of the only times that I would naturally think of that. It's a relationship. It's, it's not able to be mended. It can't be put back together. This can't be fixed is what they're saying. So we're calling it quits because there's nothing that could mend this and merge this relationship back into unity. Listen, here's what God has planned. Here's what God did. Here's what Jesus accomplished. He brought us, who have been completely set apart, completely separated from the promises and the hope and the grace and the kindness of God, who are not adopted as his sons and daughters, who are enemies of his will and his desires, who hate him as the way we're born. That's our nature. We're running away from him. He mends it all. He brings us back into fellowship. He reconciles us. What a sweet thought. And unless we're trusting Jesus as the reconciler, listen, there's no reconciliation possible. Here's the alternative. The alternative to you getting back right with God, to being in fellowship with God, the only other alternative is for you to work it out, for me to work it out. For me to gut out enough points that I would get the scales to tip. And, and at the end of the time, Peter would be at the pearly gates and say, why do I let you in? I'd say, hey, check the scoreboard, bro. I'm in. I got this. I did so many good deeds that they offset my sinful deeds. Listen, you can't do it. One sin requires an eternal death. The wage of sin is death. Because you sin one time, because you break God's law one time, somebody has to die. So reconciliation, apart from Jesus, is impossible. You can't be under God's condemnation long enough to cover the sin penalty. It's an eternal penalty. So the only hope is that somebody who doesn't carry the same penalty, somebody who doesn't have that sin judgment on them, who's not stamped with, condemned to die because of sin, to stand in for you, to say, I'll stand in, I'll take that sin, I'll take that condemnation, put it on me. And that's exactly what God was pleased to do with his son. Ephesians chapter 1 says this was the plan from before the foundation of the world. To get glory for the Father, to show the grace of God that would otherwise be unknown. The plan was to send the Son. That old song, if you grew up in the church, I, I don't know if there's many people who would even admit it if they did know this song. But there's this old song that talked about God going through heaven looking for somebody to go down. Oh man, that's bad. That's really bad. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'll go. Never. The plan has always been between the Father, Son, and the Spirit in their perfect unity together as, a, as Trinity. They, they have always devised that they would send the Son who would take on human flesh. He would live in perfect obedience. He would always obey. He would never sin. He would then take himself and give himself at the cross through the blood of his cross, through the bloody sacrifice of Jesus at the cross. He was laying down his life so that all who come through him get covered with that sacrifice. Three days later, he's risen. Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day. The reason we meet on Sundays anyway is to celebrate the resurrection. He's alive, never to die again. He cancels the power of sin. He cancels the power of death. And everybody who stops fighting to get right with God, who stops pursuing their own agenda, their own effort, places their confidence in Jesus' work as the Son of God, who paid it all, who covered it all, who's sufficient for it all, they're reconciled. They're brought back into relationship. They're adopted as sons and daughters. Everything's made right. They stand at peace before God. They have no condemnation now in Christ Jesus. Everything is right. 
because of what he did. That's who we are. That's what we know. That's who he's revealed to be. This is what he did. We trust this with all of our being. This is what it means to be a Christian. We believe who he is and we trust what he's done. And in so doing, we experience the grace of God that is far beyond our comprehension. So many of you, I'm sure, have described to people that moment when you came to Jesus. That moment when you you set aside your efforts and you trusted Christ. And you said it was like a burden was lifted. It was like this load on my back fell off. That's reconciliation. That's the end of the separation. That's the beginning of of the unity as a son or a daughter adopted through Jesus' reconciling work. Listen, this morning, you may be here and you say, I don't, I don't think I've ever experienced that. In fact, I came in with that burden on my back. That's exactly what I feel. Listen, there's only one way. There's only one person. There's only one who provides reconciliation. That's the gospel. That's the good news. The good news is on the backdrop of the bad news. The bad news is you're condemned. The bad news is that burden is leading you straight to condemnation from a holy God who will judge all that he's created. And the good news that just pops off that backdrop is that Jesus is a substitute for all who will trust him. All who will place their confidence in him, none will be turned away. To misidentify him is deadly. For a life of worship to Jesus and through Jesus to be our lasting, joyful experience, we must rightly identify him as revealed in Holy Scripture. We have to believe who he is. We have to trust him for what he does. Christian, get back to the gospel. Cling to it today. Cling to it tomorrow. Rest in him. If he took care of your sin penalty, he took care of your sin issue, he took care of your eternal death issue, what else should you not trust him for? Let the gospel inform again, freshly, how we perceive, how we understand, how we look at life around us. He was pleased to reconcile through the blood of his cross Sinners like us. Which leads us then to the next part and the last part. If Jesus will be rightly worshipped, number three, I must join what he gets. Some of my favorite verses here. Verse 21, you see it? Starts out in my translation, and you. Um, That's plural you. And we have a hard time with that in the English language. But in some parts of the country, they don't. Okay, so that's all y'all in the south. That's all y'all. And uh, if you're from Pittsburgh, it's all yins, okay? All yins, you know what that is. And if you're from Chicago or Philly, it's all yous guys, okay? All yous guys. That's plural. That's plural. Hang on to it. Hang on to it, because this is our story. This is what Jesus gets, and we're a part of what he gets. This is our story. I love this. Look at the way we're described. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, completely separated, completely foreign to God, and hostile, you were aggressively opposed. Your thoughts were against him. Doing evil deeds, our actions followed our position, right? And so we responded against God with our lives, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, and I love it, here it is, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
God's plan has been to give you as a bride to his son. This is the image that marriage depicts. It's like a flannel graph board. It's like a sketch of the gospel. So here's what Jesus uh, receives. Here's his reward, okay? I'm just going to give these to you if you're jotting down notes. Number one, he gets a saved people. He gets a saved people. He gets a people who used to be this, who are now this. They used to be angry and hostile and against God, and now they're near to him. They love him. They desire it. And though sin remains in their flesh and they're doing battle against it, they love God. They respond. Right now you're responding to truth. Your heart is alive to God. That's all the, that's all the people that God has saved for Jesus. We are his reward. We will be at the throne with every other believer, every other Christian from all time, from Every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to be one big mash of people saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. I know who he is. I trust what he's done. I'm joining in to what he gets. He gets a saved people. Number two, he gets a sanctified present. He says, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Now, I don't know about this week past for you, but I would not stamp those words on this week past. Okay? Take the last six days, holy, blameless, above reproach are not the words that we could stamp on our lives. And yet that's exactly what, how God sees us. That's what God's presenting to his son. We are made righteous through Jesus for Jesus. We get to be a part of what is presented to him without spot or wrinkle. Every sin covered, white as snow. Completely made right, above reproach in every way. All of our sins covered, all of them paid for, no condemnation. Now we have a sanctified or a separated, a holy people that are unique by God's grace for Jesus. I love green Skittles, period. Done. Write it down. <laughs> love them. Loved them more when they were lime, but now they're green apple. It's still going to work. I'm still in. And when I get a pack of Skittles, I separate the green ones out. I want a giant mouthful of green it is awesome. It's like a chaw in my cheek. I just want to suck on it. I don't spit it out. I swallow it. It's glorious. I'm setting apart the greens. If I'm pouring them out into my hand and there's reds and yellows and who eats yellow, I don't know. But I, they're there, separating out the greens, pull them out. That's sanctified. The greens are set apart. They're unique. They're special. They're my treasured ones. God's grace is to all of us, really, we experience sunshine and sunshine and sunshine here. And rain, maybe. Sunshine, a lot of sunshine. Everybody receives kindness. We're breathing. Our hearts are beating, right? But there's a special, there's a pulled out, there's a sanctified present that's going to be presented to them, and it's going to be perfect and holy and blameless. That's us. It's our story. We get to join in what he receives. And then lastly, what Jesus rewarded is a spirit preservation Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, if you stay with it, if you stick with Jesus, if you continue to believe what you can't see, that he is the son of God, that he did his full work at the cross, that he is alive and at the right hand of the Father. You say, how will I ever do that? Only because the Spirit has made us alive. Listen, I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion because the Spirit started it, He turned you on. He turned the lights on for you. He awakened your dead heart to believe. Since the Spirit started it, He will sustain it. And I trust 
he, we believe with all of our heart, he will bring it to its fullness. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. We do what brings God pleasure because God is at work in us to want it and to have the energy to do it. That's who we are. So he receives those who continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. That's our hope. Cling to it. You say, the storm is up. I am being blown all over the place. Hang on to the hope of the gospel. You know who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he receives, and you delight and glory in all of the chaos in being a part of that work of God by his grace. Amen? This changes our life together. You know, the culture says um, live and learn, right? And I've experienced that plenty of times, but as the church, we want to we learn and then, then live. So let me just throw you a couple questions just to consider Maybe over dinner or uh, over a cup of coffee or with a spouse or a loved one. How is Jesus defined for me? Where do I get my information? Okay? How's he defined for me? Where am I getting my stuff about Jesus? Is it from his word as he's revealed? Or am I the source of authority about Jesus? That's always a dangerous place to live. That's the place where Palm Sunday lived. Number two, who or what competes for my worship? Like our hearts are just idol factories, right? And the enemy is always presenting us with false messiahs. They never come through. They never satisfy. They never accomplish their task. But they're always cropping up. And so today I just encourage you to consider what or who is competing for my trust and my worship and my confidence. And then thirdly, what changes in me show Jesus rightly worshipped? If Jesus is who he says he is and is revealed to be, and if he's done what he did and what's revealed that he did, that we cannot go away from that unaffected. So that changes the way we live in community with each other because we so, we so need each other to encourage one another in the truth, to come alongside of each other and to carry burdens together. We so need each other. And we so need the living word of God on a daily basis as we scatter out from each other to be constantly aware of and involved with and relating to God through Jesus and the power of his spirit. So what are the changes that would make it evident that we've come face to face again this morning with Jesus? Here it is one last time. For a life of worship to Jesus and through Jesus to be our lasting, joyful experience we must rightly identify him as revealed in his holy word. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it meets us right where we are. It doesn't matter if we've never heard the name Jesus this morning or if we've lived in fellowship with him for decades. It doesn't matter if our background is such that we've been confused about Jesus or whether we've had a class after class after class that has established the truth of what you've said. Your word meets us right there, but it doesn't leave us there. You're so, you're so faithful. You're so faithful to challenge and to change and to, and, to, and to push and to prod. Your word is alive, and it goes where nothing else goes. And as the sword wounds, it brings healing and comfort as well. So we're so grateful. We pray that it would affect us. God, I pray as a guest here this morning that, that this truth that these realities about Jesus would affect Phoenix Bible Church. 
that the centrality of Jesus and the superiority of Jesus would just impact everything about life here. That we would be growing in our desire to serve, not out of obligation, but out of delight and love for what we've received. We're just, we can't believe we get to serve one another when we gather together. We can't believe that we get to go and share this good news with others as we live scattered on the mission. God, raise up leaders who will walk out in front as worshipers of Jesus, who are impacted and marked by these truths. Do it all for your glory. Do it all for your name. We pray it in the, in the name of your Son, who's at your right hand, who is our Savior, who is the Son of David, who has conquered and is overcoming through his death and by his resurrection, we pray in Jesus' name.